too often we have a, a dominant paradigm that uh, we either can, on the one hand, you know, support economic development and improve people's lives, or we can protect the environment. And that it's only as uh, nations get wealthier or, or people get wealthier that they start to care about the environment. Welcome to Into Deep, the place for meaningful conversations about tackling tough problems. This week, we're rejoined by Sam Rhyme and also Josh Goldstein, who is a director of the Bridge Collaborative at the Nature Conservancy. Josh has a fascinating role, really working to bring about some fundamental changes in how we think, plan, and fund work across the environment, health, and development communities, and is really confronting some of the trade-offs we've taken as given head-on. Enjoy. I was wondering to, to start whether you could tell me a little bit about the Nature Conservancy and what you're doing there at the moment and have done in the past. Sure. I've been five years at the Nature Conservancy, and we are a global conservation organization. We work in over 70 countries around the world, and we do all kinds of conservation work, um, and really with an eye towards how we create a future where nature and people thrive together. And it's a, a mission and a vision that I love and really inspires my work. I personally am part of the global science team, which is a group that supports the work of the Conservancy in all the places we work around the globe. Wonderful. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your background, how you got started with systems practice and how that sort of led you into the work you're doing now. Sure. I feel like I um, stumbled into systems practice unintentionally, but I've come to really love it and feel and sort of recognize its importance. So I you know, was, you know, if I wind the clock back to thinking about growing up and thinking about you know, even college, I was in a much more traditional um, approach of looking at, you know, individual disciplines or, you know, or more sort of focused entry points to learning. When I was um, preparing for grad school, I started to have a real interest in understanding how, you know, the basic science connects to our, our cultures, our economic systems, and, and many other social factors. And that really led me to what was a fantastic program at Stanford University, I was part of the first cohort of what's called the Interdisciplinary Program in Environment and Resources, a program that um, back at the time was quite unique in allowing um, students to enter in and really purposely do interdisciplinary research. And the work that I did there was around combining ecology and economics and looking at um, questions around how we value the benefits nature provides to people and also how we think about you know, questions around you know, maximizing return on investment from conservation investments, again, to benefit nature and people. So um, from there, I went on to become a professor of ecological economics at Colorado State University and um, enjoyed that position very much, but then had a, a really neat opportunity to shift gears and go to the Nature Conservancy and start to really um, get excited about doing science much closer to the action of conservation work on the ground and to support the strategy of our organization. And it's been just a, a fantastic five years. Yeah, wonderful. And um, before we started, you were telling me a little bit about uh, some of the work you were doing with that, that strategy and the mission. Uh, I think it's a really important uh, place to, to talk about. Could you tell me a little bit about that, that work and um, potentially how you used a little bit of systems practice to, to reshape that, um, that mission? Yeah, so in 2015, the Nature Conservancy adopted a, a new vision statement, which um, for the first time really explicitly um, stated uh, how we believe it's important to do our conservation work to benefit nature and people, and really seeing there's a, a way that nature and people can thrive together. And I think too often we have a, a dominant paradigm, um, which I actually think comes from a, a lack of a systems understanding of challenges. 
that uh, we either can, on the one hand, you know, support economic development and progress from an economic perspective and improve people's lives, um, or, you know, it's the trade-off mentality, or we can protect the environment. And that it's only as uh, nations get wealthier or, or people get wealthier that they start to care about the environment. I think we now have, you know, decades of understanding that that's really not the case. And that narrative of, you know, jobs versus the environment or autonomy versus the environment is a, a false choice. And um, I think a systems view really turns it on its head to understand how intricately connected um, the environment and nature is as an input and a foundation for the economy and for society. Um, but also, you know, how um, if we're going to solve food, you know, uh, food insecurity and uh, energy insecurity and water insecurity and all these global challenges, that needs to go hand in hand with solving environmental challenges. And so what we, um, you know, the work that we did, which really got us into some systems practice at the Nature Conservancy, was all around um, asking a pretty simple question that took a lot of effort to, um, to address. It was a really fun work. Basically, it's saying, you know, if we're serious about a future in which nature and people thrive, um, how is it, you know, excuse me, what are the big challenges that need to be addressed? Um, how are the big problems that um, cause biodiversity loss around the world from habitat conversion and degradation to um, invasive species to pollution and so on? How are they connected to the major challenges facing human well-being? And so we created um, a giant map, you know, that in Kumu, backed by all kinds of evidence from all kinds of sectors to allow us to answer this question, to be able to elevate out a set of key questions, or key challenges um, that link the fate of, of nature and people going forward. And that work, um, we can get more into that, that work has led to um, the role that I'm in currently at uh, the Nature Conservancy, which is, as, is the director of the Bridge Collaborative. And... The Bridge Collaborative is a partnership of the Nature Conservancy with partners in the global health and development sectors, um, with PATH, a global health organization out of Seattle, the International Food Policy Research Institute, and Duke University as an academic partner. And our work together is to really accelerate a paradigm shift and action towards solving these tightly connected health, development, and environment challenges. Everything from um, aligning evidence better across these sectors, which is often not done, to um, building skills and networks. Um, we go back to training. Many of us are trained in much more siloed ways. How can we bring those sectors together? And then really driving more alignment of agendas and action across you know, leading organizations and funders so that we actually are prepared um, to solve these challenges at the, at the most important global level possible. That's wonderful. I, I really sort of hear the, um, how the systems kind of thinking and the systems mindset has has become a kind of cultural, uh, culturally based in uh, TNC and uh, in that bridge collaborative partnership now. Um, I, I would love to hear a little bit about like the edge of your learning um, in regards to uh, regards to that partnership and um, other other initiatives that you've been working on at the moment. I'd um, yeah, I'd love, love to hear some of uh, maybe how systems practices are being used in that partnership and how it's being used maybe at a strategy level, but maybe also a tactical level. Yeah, so you know, as we scope projects and we do our work, I think we're always seeing the system connections that are out there. And um, yet we're often hearing a real range of perspectives from the folks we engage, whether they are researchers or practitioners doing work in communities, um, whether they're leaders of organizations or funders. And 
sort of recognizing that um, there's still a lot of work to make the case that integrated solutions, those that come from a real systems perspective, um, are going to be more efficient and cost effective in terms of solving problems. And so um, we really are, are working to build better evidence and support for that hypothesis, which we think is a really solid one. Um, and I'd say most people really sort of get the system connections. So um, we can really start to understand how the things that the global health community is trying to solve and some of the biggest problems, you know, the leading cause of, of, um, of death and, and disease um, around the world, they're all tied back to um, food and diet-related factors, so malnutrition and also um, poor diets. And those things are tied so tightly to um, the agriculture being one of the strongest drivers of biodiversity loss around the world and all the major challenges around um, of food and nutrition security with the 800 million people who are still hungry in the world and um, different estimates, but you know, many billions who are um, malnourished, both under uh, uh, poor nutrition because they're undernourished and also on the overweight and obesity side. And so you have all these kind of really tight connections that um, are increasingly documented. And I think our edge of learning is in part to help further build out the understanding of how the connections uh, manifest themselves in places around the world. I can give some examples of that later if you'd like. But you know, even more so, the so what? So what do we do about that? How do we take this systems understanding so we can build out all these connections? And that's a really powerful way we find to bring people together who have not, um, not worked across these sectors and understand each other. And you know, the, the process of building out a systems diagram really facilitates communication. It builds um, understanding and trust amongst the group. Then you're sort of left with um, you know, a big you know, exploding diagram. How do you then really look at that and be smart about how you um, understand the system connections, but understand a, a smart slice through them to be able to actually drive action. And to me, that's you know, the most important thing about a systems perspective is if we're gonna act and solve problems, we better know the connections from a bigger systems view because then it's going to empower us to be smart about our targeted actions and how to use our resources most effectively. Mm, yeah, wonderful. Um, maybe let's dig into that a little bit uh, about how you're currently doing that work. How are you transitioning from the, you know, the big systems view into um, the, the smart slices, as you put it, and how do you generate action from that point? Yeah, so I'll give an example of a project that we're working to get underway, which for me has stitched together some pieces that are, are quite surprising to me. And I'll just admit to, um, you know, uh, perhaps smarter people than me would know these connections, but they've been really fascinating to me. So um, here in the U.S., um, as in some other you know, parts of the world, there's a real um, devastating opioid addiction crisis. And that is um, affecting rural communities and many communities around the country in really profound ways. And in just a short amount of time, it's really risen to one of the top health challenges here in the U.S., um, that is um, connected in a way I never would have guessed to some work that we are trying to advance through the Nature Conservancy with the support of Bridge Collaborative around looking at a post-coal economy in um, central Appalachians in, in West Virginia and in that region. And really looking at how um, there's a lot of um, exciting thinking around how can we transition away from coal um, in support of, you know, it, while also delivering opportunity, economic opportunity, and retraining for those rural communities who have been, uh, who've had uh, economies based on coal for some time, and looking at a green economy based on sustainable timber, on um, solar or other renewable energy, and also potentially ecotourism, 
And it's a great idea and a great opportunity. It's actually coming head on with the opioid crisis in a way that I never would have guessed. And this is where we're seeing that um, the opioid addiction is actually really devastating the workforce and communities in these areas. And so can we actually take these two problems which sit side by side from a more narrow view and when you start to step back and really build out the system's understanding of what's going on in these regions, you recognize that they're really tightly connected in important ways. And so can we take that understanding of the problem, sort of definition, and actually look towards solutions that a systems view empowers where we can partner um, workforce training um, with an opioid addiction treatment program that's part of the workforce training as an avenue to help prepare and empower a workforce that is ready to deliver the green economy. And so either one on its own, you know, without an economic future, um, the, the, there's a, a lot of challenges on the health side. You won't be able to um, create that economic transition unless you start to address the major health and other community issues there. So for me, it sort of takes a narrative which is really um, challenging on the, on the health side in the U.S. and actually provides you a positive view of what can be done. So we're just getting into this work um, and with fantastic partners. Um, and I think it's uh, really exciting in the kind of systems direction that we're trying to head in. Yeah, wonderful. That's, uh, that sounds like a really exciting project. So I wonder if we can uh, maybe just dig in even a little bit further into um, how those sorts of programs, uh, projects, initiatives sort of come about and how, uh, I guess, you know, one of my... One of my interests is, is about the dynamics of complexity uh, and, and sort of how that overlays with systems thinking and so complexity sort of stating that, you know, things are emergent and we can't actually plan our way into the future. Um, change is kind of nonlinear. Um, how, how are you using these sorts of systems insights, uh, knowing what you know about complexity to, to sort of work more, I don't know what the, the current words are, agile or, you know, experimentally with those kinds of uh, projects that, that you're, um, you're creating. Yeah, so I think um, one common comment we get when we do this kind of systems work with teams is um, you've just taken something that I already thought was complex and you've just made it way more complex. And, mm -hmm. oh, my God, what do we do with this, right? Almost like, a, yeah, I, I, in essence, understand things better, but I almost feel paralyzed by mm -hmm. the level of complexity that you've built out. And so I think you know, what we really try to do, as I was mentioning earlier, is um, I think if you just build out an understanding of the system and sort of stop there, then it really does lead to paralysis and, and sort mm -hmm. of, uh, I don't know what to do. And so you really need to sort of make sure you go into this work, understanding what you're trying to get out of it, which is often for our work informing strategy and then how to understand where there's the you know, smartest entry points where you can get at the outcomes you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, you know, some things that we do um, through our work and that we'll see if these sort of, you know, make sense. One thing we actually try to do is um, a lot of rapid iterative conversations and colliding or cross-pollinating expertise that often does not interact with each other. So, mm -hmm. and we actually, um, someone once commented um, that, you know, one of their takeaways from working with us is it seems like we only like to do things fast, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, I sort of laughed because I think there's actually some value in pushing people not, not overly fast in thinking and building out your systems understanding, but a bit uncomfortable, you know, a bit faster than you want to go so you don't get stuck 
um, and you can keep moving in those iterative ways. So, um, you know, so what we do often is host cross-sector workshops and we use tools from human-centered design or, you know, lean innovation um, work to, uh, to help guide us. And we're definitely early on our learning curve on those kinds of methods, but we've seen a lot of value in them. So I'll tell a story about, um, from actually a training we had um, by a group called Smallify uh, back about a year ago. And they were training us in these sort of design innovation methods. And out of a two-day training with four people who had basically not interacted, well, actually two of them had, but most of them had not interacted you know, in real ways before, they um, used this kind of systems approach and these design and innovation methods to develop a whole new idea for how you can really accelerate integration of environmental considerations into refugee and humanitarian assistance um, with camp planning around the world. And you know, we've tested it now in Bangladesh and a really first sort of prototype of that. But um, you know, we really um, entered into that meeting thinking about you know, this idea that, gosh, there's so many important dimensions around humanitarian assistance as, as uh, displacement goes from you know, what used to be decades ago, a, short, a truly short-term crisis to now being 5, 10, even 20 plus years in some cases. And so the considerations you know, around environment and around really sustained planning beyond the basics of food, water, and shelter become critical. And so we did, you know, we basically use these methods of, you know, lots of, you know, rapid ideation, rapid prototyping and building out ideas. And we came out of this with an idea called Refugee Action for People and Planet or RAP Labs. Um, and, um, you know, it's basically the idea of how you can crowdsource in expertise from key, you know, key sectors, key perspectives, you know, really close to the field when key decisions are being made so that you have that knowledge ready to, to move. And so we, I think what we try to do is really balance, you know, understanding building out complexity, but always in honing in on decision opportunities. And that for us, that really creates a good balance. If there's a decision that's coming and there's always decisions, but you know, one where there's a good opportunity to influence it in a good way, we think, you know, these fast processes to build out understanding can really be helpful um, at then focusing on the so what of, you know, what, what can we do to make that decision a better one than it would have been before. And that's a, a powerful lens. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, it sounds like, um, yeah, that, that winning of fast thinking um, makes me really think about the, uh, the importance, uh, I think it was Daniel Kahneman that wrote the fast thinking, slow thinking yeah. book. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that sort of how do we twin that fast thinking, um, those processes, those rapid iterations, those prototypes, how do we twin that with the, the slower, more kind of, you know, uh, non-fad, um, right. yeah, slower thinking, basically, that um, uh, actually spots patterns and, um, you know, enables us to, to see deeper trends at play. Um, so I'm interested in that way. Are you connecting the, the fast thinking with the, um, the sort of systems mapping piece that you did? Like, is it a living document that keeps changing as you generate new insights with those fast thinking iterative cycles? Is that, is that yeah. something you're planning to do with the, um, the new project, I guess? Yeah, I mean, if I, if I might go back to the major project we've done in Kumu, which is around this global situation analysis, looking at how the major global drivers of biodiversity loss are connected you know, through causal pathways and shared root causes to the big challenges for human well-being. And um, we used that in a really neat way where we were building out a 
you know, we sort of create our own first prototype based on reading a whole wide range of literature and, mm-hmm. um, you know, recognizing that sometimes like the best first step is to read a bunch and process in a slower way, but then get something out that people can react to because, yep. you know, every model is wrong. Some are useful. That's true of system maps, you know, and, um, and, you know, it also becomes a tool that actually, you know, to get feedback, but also to facilitate the conversation. And so we, we use that map, you know, the version we have now is relatively stable, I'd say, but I, I can't even guess at how many versions we went through, even before Kuma, there was probably 10 or 15 versions in PowerPoint, um, and which was incredibly clunky, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, fantastic to be able to get a tool where we could really interact and facilitate a conversation and show people our, you know, basically use it to illustrate our thinking and then for them to give feedback in really tangible ways. And I think those, you know, that, that I think is an example of the sort of fast and slow where like there are periods where you're really trying to patiently, you know, incorporate feedback and think about what it means and think about the best way to represent the system. And then there's, I think, times when you've really just got to lean in and get in a ton of feedback and really get people actively talking about it. Um, knowing that, you know, not every, everything can be addressed or every piece of feedback is perfectly spot on, but it really spurs that conversation about, you know, about what are we trying to get at here and are we representing it in a way that has shared understanding and can drive shared action. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. It's certainly um, something I grappled with uh, during my master's, uh, having sort of just finished that up. I, um, uh, I found that having generated a kind of a systems map or a view of the system, a story as I was calling it, um, I found there were so many stories within that story. Yep. So kind of working out which ones you surface, how you, how you present them. Um, I really love Kumu's um, presentation tool for that. Um, but yeah, as you say, how you then integrate more feedback, how you, um, how you invite participation and use it as a, a provocation rather than uh, a source of truth, I think is, um, it's a really great perspective. That's, that's pretty much all the questions I have, but, um, I was one, yeah, wondering if there's any, any other, um, you know, any other stories you would like to tell us, any other uh, pieces of your work you'd like to highlight um, in, in this area of systems practice? I, I'll just say that I think there's some really exciting communities of practice that are making a lot of headway now. So more a forward-looking comment. Hmm. So there's, you know, for example, the planetary health is an increasingly, um, you know, powerful frame that brings together, you know, how the health of natural systems is linked to human health. And I think getting a lot of traction around understanding climate change and how that you know, really is an urgent issue and arguably one of the, you know, the biggest, if not the biggest global health challenge of the 21st century and the massive burden of pollution that comes from, you know, our, you know, people, you know, two out of three people around the world, not having sanitation and, and wastewater, not being treated effectively and all kinds of pollution that goes into water, soil, air, you know, and chemicals, you know, that are in them. And so, you know, these are, I guess what, what really gives me hope is that, um, you know, for this systems movement to really make a difference, we need people who are in policymaking positions, you know, in, you know, making financing decisions, you know, in governments and private sector and NGOs and so on, um, to be empowered to act and to see these solutions being more effective. And so I think, we're at a point where I wouldn't say it's necessarily a tipping point or inevitable, but it really seems like there's growing momentum. And certainly around the sustainable development goals from the United Nations, there's a really powerful integrated frame. And so to me, it's really incredible that the world has committed to 17 goals, um, 
in a really integrated way, an indivisible set of goals that to achieve any one of them to, you know, to end hunger, you know, is connected to all the improvements in health, all the improvements on biodiversity and so on. And that's a really powerful frame that, that we can act on now and we better seize the opportunity, you know, to, to do this and to do it smart. So for me, you know, tons of work to do, but a lot of excitement ahead. Wonderful. I love it when people end on a note of hope. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I am. Um, to hear in today's slide. <laughs> yeah, I've been criticized of having rose-colored glasses more than once, but uh, um, it's a bit uh, more I, fun to be in the world. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think in uh, with uh, you know we when you take the systems view of life, it's uh, sometimes very hard to um, uh, to to always invoke that sense of hope, given uh, some of the. Uh, the complexities that we face, but it's wonderful to, to hear that coming through your work. So um, thank you for that. Um, if people wanted to um, get in touch at all, is there a, a best way to do that, uh, to learn more about your work or to, um, uh, to, to ask specific questions? Sure, yeah. Um, first step is to visit our website, which is bridgecollaborativeglobal.org. And I'd be happy for folks to reach out to me personally as well. So if you want to share my contact information. Okay, great. Um, thanks so much, Josh. It's, uh, it's been lovely to speak to you and to hear about your work. Uh, it really does sound like some pioneering work and some really, really important uh, work that you're doing as well. So thank you for that. Uh, and uh, Thank you for your time. Yeah, super. Thanks so much, Sam. Appreciate it.